special dedication to the most wonderful human being under the age of 53, Sidney Davis. So Stevie, it's time to take this to a higher ground. Time to take a quick break and let your mind marinate to the sports talk program full of interesting discussion and debate. As I relate and share my thoughts and opinions about the weekend of college football and the National Football League to intrigue your listening ears and mind as I intertwine the wonderful and happy to eliminate the crappy soaring and scoring on the mic like I was Killian Mbappe. So when I begin my podcast, I'll be quite snappy so I can be the favorite of your mama, sister, stepdaddy, and your pappy gladly. Catching the platitudes with the latitude to have the attitude of being brash or smug, my show being more powerful and addictive than any drug, you will be filled with incongruity if you ever thought about schooling me or fooling me into thinking about moving me from my number one spot, please stop in that desire and just admire the sports talk program that slams and can set any other podcast on fire. Burning it down like I was Seth Rollins, you'll be falling into another region and begin to start seething and wheezing when the only thing you'll be seeing is yours truly talking into the mic, giving the sports talk listeners what they like. A compelling discussion of the everyday in sports that comes with a unique twist you don't want I miss the perspective with my personal directive of having knowledge rain down like a blizzard, dropping dimes like I'm the Damien of Lillard. So if your claim to fame is to try to shame and tame the most entertaining sports talk podcast going and growing with lame, profane takes, I'll have to take you to task and then scissor the acclaim along with daddy ass. Wendell's World in Sports, follow, download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. I got some special dedications that I'm going to throw out to who are listening to Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I got some special dedications for those who are listening to this podcast in Pennsylvania. I got some special dedications and some thank yous for those who are listening to this podcast in Nevada, in California, in Texas, in the DMV, in Australia, in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Paris, in Brazil, in Pakistan, all over the globe. I want to thank you so much for listening to the most unique entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Wendell's World in Sports, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, go ahead and download and subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And if you want to listen to what my thoughts and opinions are about the NBA every Wednesday or Thursday, you go over to my YouTube page, Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S, World in Sports. If you like what you are listening to, if you like on the NBA what I'm listening, what you uh, what I'm saying, 
Ladies between the ages of 42 and 49 who are single and attractive, if you are liking what you are watching while you're listening and watching to me do my thing, speaking about the NBA, as always, go ahead and um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, like, review the video, and all those good things. Rip, roaring, and ready to go. Going to be speaking about the NFL right now. Week 8, we are almost smack dab in the middle of the season. And here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I need to find out from you. And I'm speaking to those out there who are just football fans to the fullest. I'm talking about guys and gals who are going to be watching football on Thursday, the Thursday night football game. I'm going to be speaking to, I'm really going to be asking this question first to those who are diehard football fans who are watching the NFL, not just on Thursday, but also the one o'clock game and the four o'clock game on Sunday, and then the Sunday night football game, and then the Monday night football game. Outside of you having some type of wager, outside of you having some type of parlay or some type of financial obligation for you to watch these games, outside of you having a fantasy football team to where you have players on the team where it, um, where you have to be watching these games or you need to be watching these games, for those who are just watching the games just for fun. And if you remember, that when I was speaking about the NFL way back in September, when I was speaking about the NFL when training camps first opened, when I was speaking about the NFL and the viewing audience and the way you should watch these games and the way that you should pace yourself if the fact that you should be going all out. Because even though it's a marathon, you watch it like you're running a sprint to the point to where, look, man, when the NFL season is finally over, and the Super Bowl is finally over. You are mentally exhausted in terms of watching football. I don't care if your team is the favorites to win the championship or if you're a fan of the Houston Texans or the Detroit Lions or the Jacksonville Jaguars. It doesn't matter. I gave you the blueprint in terms of, man, enjoying the game of football, enjoying what your team is doing, whether they're good or they're bad. And uh, by the time February rolls around, and the NFL season is over, then it should be like, whoo, I need a break. <laughs> I need a break from football because I want my Sundays back, man. I want my Monday nights back, man. I want my life back, man. So it's a situation like that. So if you're falling into that category, if you're one of these guys that can't get enough of the NFL, if you're one of those guys when after the Super Bowl is over, you're depressed, because you don't have any more football to watch. I want to ask you, through eight weeks of this season, not even at the halfway point of the season yet, even though we're getting really close, how are you feeling? What's happening, man? You, you all right? You doing all right? You still got the verb? You still got the vigor? You still got the passion? You still got the excitement of watching football? No uh, situations yet where you might be kind of scheduling some things where you might not be able to watch a Thursday night game. You might not be able to watch an afternoon Sunday game. You, you might be able to uh, maybe skip a weekend in the NFL. You might be able to uh, miss an NFL Monday night football game. I'm recording this on the Monday night after work. I'm watching the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns play, right? Are you into this? Are you into some of these games like this? If you're watching football in the state of Alabama, if you're watching football in the state of New Mexico, if you're watching football in the Dakotas, if you're watching football in Maine, if you're watching football in Delaware, if you're watching football in Montana in terms of the NFL is concerned, where you really don't 
have a team where you can root for, that hometown team that you can root for. Now, I know from speaking and knowledge that, for instance, the Seattle Seahawks, they have a lot of fans in Idaho. They have a lot of fans in uh, that part of the region. Speaking to uh, fans or speaking to sports fans or speaking to and listening to NFL fans in the state of Nebraska, in the state of uh, the Dakotas, that their favorite teams are the Minnesota Vikings or the Minnesota Vikings, their favorite team. So, even though they might not have a team in Bismarck, even though they might not have a team in Cheyenne, even though they might not have a team in Pocatello, even though they might have not have a team in Sheridan, Wyoming, even though they might not have a team in one of those places, you are still connected to a football team in terms of your rooting interest is concerned because you are attached to that team, the Seahawks, the Vikings, uh, uh, the, the Raiders sometimes, or the Steelers, or the Packers, even though, again, they are not in your backyard. If you're one of those fans, how are you feeling compared to a t- compared to a team or compared to a fan whose team is in their backyard? For those Green Bay residents who are watching the Packers, for those Seattle uh, for those uh, Washingtonians from Seattle, from Tacoma, who are watching the Seahawks, from these folks in Los Angeles and Inglewood and Santa Monica, how much are you invested in the Chargers in the Rams? For those who are in Dallas and Plano and uh, that area, how much are you still into the Cowboys? Not saying that you're going to be turning off the TV, click, 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 but I'm just terms of it's the dog days. Are you still into it? Do you still have the same passion? Do you still have the same fever? Do you still have the same excitement? Do you still have the same anticipation to watch these games on Sunday, Monday, or Thursday, depending upon when your team is playing now than when you did a few um, a few months ago? And hey, man, I'm telling you right now, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to be like, whoo, man. You know, I need to do something on a Sunday. I need to go for a drive. I need to spend some time with my husband. I need to hang out with my kids. I need to, you know, hang out with my mom and dad and do some things. And, you know, maybe I can skip the early morning games or the one o'clock games in the NFL. Or, you know, maybe on Monday I can do some things. It's Halloween night. You're going out trick-or-treating instead of sitting here watching the Cincinnati Bengals play the Cleveland Browns. And I'm speaking about those who are listening to this podcast in the Cincinnati region, in the Cleveland region. Yeah, we're speaking about two rivals from Ohio and that type of thing. But is it a situation where, man, you know what, for the last, I don't know, eight weeks, I've been sort of kind of neglecting my kids on Thursdays and Sundays and Mondays. I kind of need to step it up a little bit and, uh, you know, get some get some uh, attaboy points back and go out and hang out with them and trick-or-treating and all that kind of stuff. Are, are you at that point yet? The only reason why I'm asking is because right now, man, we are in the dog days of the NFL. We're, we're halfway through the novel, or we're halfway through the first season on Netflix or Hulu of, of a show that, that you've been watching. You know, I mean, as, as of right now, man, for the first part of the season, when you're speaking about the first five or seven games, and I said this before, don't get too excited. Don't overreact. Don't underreact. When you're speaking about the teams, when you're speaking about your teams through weeks one, two, three, four, especially the first month of the season, enjoy. Enjoy football. Don't worry if your team is 4-0 and or 0-4. and Don't worry if your team is the Kansas City football team or the Buffalo Bills or your team is the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, or the... 
uh, Detroit Lions. Don't worry about it, man. Just enjoy the season. No matter how pessimistic, no matter how optimistic, no matter how realistic or unrealistic you are, just enjoy the season, man, because it's so long. Despite the NFL being only 17 games, it's truly a marathon, but watch it like a sprint. In terms of your enthusiasm, in terms of your passion for it, enjoy it. But like any season, man, whether it's 82 games in hockey or the NBA, whether it's 162 games in the NHL, I mean, excuse me, in Major League Baseball, man, there's going to be some dog days. There's going to be some weeks, really, where the momentum shift or the paradigm shift or anything remotely important is not going to be happening. Weak weighted. Week eight in the NFL, nothing really happened. Nothing of real consequence really happened. Nothing of any like, oh my goodness gracious, I can't believe that this is incredible. This is unbelievable. Nothing happened. There were some great performances. Christian McCaffrey made his impact with the San Francisco 49ers, no doubt about it. There were some things that went down which you might be feeling optimistic about or something like that, but nothing really moved the needle one way or the other in week eight. It was just a day to enjoy and watch football. And whether your team won or whether your team lost, it was just a day to enjoy football because either or, nothing huge, nothing momentous, nothing cataclysmic happened on Sunday, this past Sunday in the NFL. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So as I mentioned before, first part of the season, games five through seven, it's all about building a foundation, right? It's all about building a narrative of what this season's going to look like, right? It's the first, the first five to seven weeks. As I mentioned before, you don't get bent out of shape after four weeks, after five weeks, after six weeks, but you're you're, you're building, you're, you're, you're accumulating clues, you know, you're trying to find some evidence in terms of which way is my passion going to go towards my team this season. Is it going to be happy? Is it going to be sad? Is it going to be optimistic? Is it going to be pessimistic? When we're speaking about what your definition is for what your team is going to be this season, what were your expectations for your team this season? Was it a situation where we're going to be contending for a playoff spot and then possibly uh, contending for a Super Bowl? Well, if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, if you're a fan of the Los Angeles Rams, then maybe you might have to adjust. Maybe you might have to have a little circumspect in terms of what my expectation should be realistically for these teams moving forward that I just mentioned. Maybe it's a situation now after six or seven or even eight games, despite the fact that none of these teams are quote-unquote out of contention, who I just mentioned, the fact that there's some signs, there's some patterns going on to where you might now start to believe that, yeah, it looks like, you know what, the Rams' chances are of repeating as Super Bowl champions ain't looking that good. Tom Brady playing it in this last season, um, not reaching the expectations that uh, him and the fans and other folks had for Tampa Bay going into the season. Yeah, those things are starting to come to light. Those things are starting to come to fruition in terms of the glass being half empty. Same thing with the Green Bay Packers. I'll get to them in just a second in terms of, man, you know, the way they played last uh, night against the Buffalo Bills, to me, it looks like a team that's in transition. To me, it looks like a team that had playoff aspirations that are now just trying to, to compete to uh, keep their respect. 
going for self in terms of the personal aspect is concerned to say you might be beating us you might be blowing us out out you might be you know the victor at the end of the game but damn sure i ain't gonna be going out on my shield in terms of fighting, in terms of clawing, in terms of being competitive, in terms of making you earn this victory. For the Green Bay Packer fans, maybe now moving forward, that should be your mantra. Maybe that should be your goal. Maybe that should be your realization. Maybe that's the world you should be living in. In terms of, hey, you know, let's see how we're going. Let's see how the things end up. Let's see how the thing uh, moves on. Maybe that should be your expectation. Week 9 now. While we're still in the dog days, now we're going to start building the narrative. Now we're going to start be building a situation where it's like, all right, where are we going to be going with this? What's going to be happening with this? Do you remember? And I always do this, man, because I take sports almost like it's a movie, almost like reading a book, almost like that type of thing where you have a beginning, you have a middle, and you have an end, like a story, right? Like a story. A story, a great story, whether you're reading it, whether you're watching it, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, whatever. It always deals on what? The beginning of the story, the middle of the story, and then the end of the story. And you mix into that flavor, you mix into that stew, you mix into that salad, you mix into that recipe, you mix into those things that are going to be presented to you in terms of here, taste this, eat this, enjoy this, in terms of what's going to be served to you. Read this, watch this, contemplate this, equate this. It's all about the story, it's all about the plot, it's all about the expectations, it's all about the climax, it's all about all of those things that we learned in school, right, in terms of making it a good novel, to make an interesting story, right? It's all about the beginning, it's all about the middle, it's all about the end, and those things have to be connected brilliantly to uh, make it worth reading, to make it worth watching. That's why... I always say here on Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, whether I'm speaking about the NFL, whether I'm speaking about the NBA, whether I'm speaking about college football, or whether I'm speaking about college basketball with my Georgetown Hoyas, it's always great year after year. And what brings us back is that those teams or those franchises, those leagues that I just mentioned, they always have a beginning They always have a middle and they always have an end. And because we are lathered, because we are cloaked and drenched in realization when it comes to these leagues, when it comes to these teams, and when it comes to these seasons, for the most part, nothing is predictable. And it's fantastic. And that's what what makes watching sports so fantastic. That's what makes watch, watching the NFL so doggone spectacular and fantastic for those, not just for the physicality, not just for the skill, not just for the violence, not just for all of those animalistic type of things or stuff that we can feel, we can taste, we can smell, but some of the other things. We all love a good story, right? We all enjoy a really, really good story. And 17 weeks out of the year, in the NFL, they always give us a good story, which in turn leads to an absolutely terrific read or a terrific watch, which makes us coming back year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. And it's for those who love the NBA, it's for those who love Major League Baseball, it's for those who love uh, the game of football, it's always that symmetry. It's always that way in terms of we love a fantastic story, 
the best realization in this earth to watch, to see is sports, and the NFL gives it to us every single week. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So as I mentioned before, taking a look at the power rankings, remember at the, at the beginning of September, right? Top 10 teams going off what was uh, being put down in terms of the power teams, the power rankings in the NFL. Number one, you had the Philadelphia Eagles, who at that time were 3-0. and You had the Buffalo Bills coming off a loss to the Miami Dolphins, who were 2-1. and The Miami Dolphins, all of a sudden, shooting up into our, into our attention, into our, our space with a 3-0 and record. The Green Bay Packers still hanging on at 2-0, and where they were ranked number four as far as the power rankings were concerned. Philadelphia being number one. Buffalo being number two. Miami being number three. Green Bay being number four. Kansas City. Coming off their first loss of the season to the Indianapolis Colts. They were ranked number five. The Rams were ranked number six at two and one. The Baltimore Ravens were ranked number seven. Tampa Bay, two and one, were ranked number eight. The Minnesota Vikings, two and one, ranked number nine. And then coming in at number 10, one and two were the Cincinnati Bengals with the San Francisco 49ers, the Tennessee Titans, the Dallas Cowboys, who were then starting Cooper Rush at quarterback, were on the outside of the top 10 rankings sitting at the bottom after the week of or the month of September was over you had the Houston Texans you had the New York Jets you had my Washington Commanders the Carolina Panthers the Seattle Seahawks all of those teams at the end of September only four weeks ago when you're speaking about the Jets when you're speaking about the Commanders when you're speaking about Seattle there were teams sitting near the bottom of the power rankings according to NFL.com. And the highlights from that Sunday, again, Buffalo losing their first game of the season to Miami 21-19 when the heat and the humidity of Buffalo playing in Miami at the Hard Rock Stadium finally took its toll. Kansas City special teams, blunders, giving Indianapolis their first loss of the season. A muff punt led to an Indy touchdown. Matt Amendola missed a 34-yard field goal and an extra point attempt, and everybody was losing their mind who was a Kansas City fan over that. Who was the MVP the first month of the season? Who was considered the MVP the first month of the season? Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was playing like the leader to win the MVP and get paid very well for it. If you remember that, after producing five total touchdowns against New England and a 37-26 victory. Oh, man, Lamar Jackson. Oh, he's getting paid. He's getting paid. There he goes. He's betting on himself. He's going to do what Joe Flacco did, have a great year and a contract year, and instead of settling with a contract extension before, he's going to do some things, and he's going to lead Baltimore to all these great things, and he's going to win the MVP, and he's going to be hitting a bank, and he's going to be getting like the Sean Watson guarantee type money. Oh, my goodness gracious. All of this, all of this narrative was at the end of the first month of the NFL season. And the NFL season, as far as the first month was concerned, at the end of September, hey, man, if, whenever you listen to this, that was, what, less than five weeks away? That was only around a month uh, a month ago. Now, if you check the power rankings here at the end of October from NFL.com, the number one team, Buffalo, number two being Philadelphia, number three being Kansas City, number four with the return of Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys, number five, surging Cincinnati Bengals. Number six, the New York Giants, despite losing to uh, Seattle. These were all um, formulated before the games on Sunday. So the Giants were ranked one, two, three, four, five, six. They were ranked number six in the NFL power rankings 
uh, NFL.com power rankings, their record stood at 6-1 and one again before losing to the Seattle Seahawks. Number 7, Minnesota Vikings. Number 8, Baltimore Ravens. Number 9, flying under the radar, the Tennessee Titans. And rattling out the top 10 were the New York Jets. Just outside the top 10 were the Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers, the Las Vegas Raiders. Interesting. And then the Miami Dolphins. Teams at the bottom, Houston, Detroit, Carolina, Jacksonville, my Washington Commanders, and the Denver Broncos. And other teams, Seattle was ranked number 15. Atlanta was ranked number 22. The Chargers ranked 16. Tampa and Green Bay were ranked 19th and 18th. Want to highlight Seattle being ranked number 15 just a couple of days ago and Atlanta being ranked number 22nd. Why do I say those things? Because those two teams... As of right now, through eight games, as we are in the dog days of the NFL season, they're in first place of their division. Hey, man, check it out. The NFC East, the division leader, Philadelphia, of course. NFC North, Minnesota. Again, NFC South, Atlanta. NFC West, Seattle. Moving to the AFC, AFC East, it is Buffalo, the NFC North, it is Baltimore, the NFC South is Tennessee, and the AFC West is Kansas City. Now, of course, when you speak about you know moving forward again, whether you watch the NFL on Sunday or not, nothing cataclysmic, nothing incredibly important happened in terms of move, moves or anything like that. But when you take a look, man, and you take a look at these division leaders, and you take a look in the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles, you take a look at the NFC North with the Minnesota Vikings, you take a look at the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons, NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks, AFC Buffalo, AFC North, Baltimore, AFC South, Tennessee, AFC West, Kansas City. Let me ask you this question. Here on Wendell's World of Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace. Let me ask you this question. Let me get your mind to start thinking a little bit. Out of all those teams that I just mentioned who are in first place right now, week eight, almost halfway through, two months in to the NFL season, which one of these teams moving forward do you think are going to be able to maintain that division lead? And which teams right now who are leading their division their hold on first place right now is tenuous. For instance, look, when you take a look at what's happening in the uh, AFC East, well, we all know for the most part that the Buffalo Bills, barring some type of injury, and I'm going to hold on a second. I want to knock on wood because I don't want to be jinxing anybody, but uh, no, that's not anybody, you know, knocking on my door for trick or treat. Get the hell out of here, kids. I don't got any candy. Get lost. So um, get those brats out of here. I don't got any candy. You stop knocking on my door. Jesus. So uh, when you speak about teams right now who are leading their division, we can all say that the Buffalo Bills, for the most part, are going to win the AFC East, right? Uh, again, except, ex- with the exception of something happening to Josh Allen, which we hope doesn't happen, or Von Miller, the Buffalo Bills are going to win the AFC East, right? You take a look at what's happening with the New York Jets, a really bad performance at home against the New England Patriots. The Patriots being the bugaboo for 
the Jets organization time after time along with the Miami Dolphins, but with the New York Jets blowing an opportunity to really, I don't know, I'm going to ask you a little bit later on in terms of the Jets or the Giants, which one is paper thin or which one in terms of are, are, are true contenders and which ones are just kind of paper contenders, that type of thing. But here's, here's my deal, right? The Jets had an opportunity to do some things in terms of being real contenders. They blew a situation. They blew an opportunity. Just one opportunity. They'll have more uh, going up against New England. The offense looked putrid with Bryce Hall being out, missing the rest of the season because of an AL, uh, a torn AL, uh, ACL injury that he suffered um, what, last week or a few weeks ago. Zach Wilson, not, not playing good football at all. You take a look at the other contenders, maybe the Miami Dolphins. Maybe the Miami Dolphins can maybe um, put a little respect into uh, Buffalo in terms of them having a grasp, a firm grasp of first place in the NFC East. But outside of that, I mean, Tua versus Tua versus Josh Allen. I just don't see it. Despite the weapons that the Miami Dolphins have with Tyreek Hill and Jaden Waddle, two guys who last... Uh, Last, uh, last, yesterday against the Detroit Lions. I think they combined for, I don't know, they combined for something ridiculous. They combined for like, uh, 20 catches for like 294 yards and two touchdowns or some, some nonsense like that. But for the most part, you're guessing that the, uh, Buffalo Bills are going to be there in the AFC East to, uh, claim that title. I think in the NFC East, I think you're taking a look at the Philadelphia Eagles who continue to, um, prove that they're the best team, maybe not just in the division, but also in the in the NFC um, conference, the way they beat up on Pittsburgh yesterday, 35-13, Jalen Hurts throwing three touchdown passes to A.J. Brown in the first half, finished with 285 yards passing, four touchdown totals. Brown had six receptions for 156 y- yards, best game as an Eagle, topping the 155 and a touchdown that he had in the opening game against Detroit, and maybe we should put an asterisk by that because Detroit's letting everybody score wildly on them. Eagles defense against the Steelers helped Pittsburgh to 1 of 12 on third downs, allowed 3.5 yards per pass on 40 attempts. Yeah, I know Kenny Pickett was the quarterback for the Steelers, but still, take notice, man. Open up your eyes. Raise them eyebrows. Give me a hmm when we're speaking about the um, defense that the Eagles have been playing. And they only strengthened their defense and defensive line with the acquisition of uh, Robert Quinn from the Chicago Bears. So the Philadelphia Eagles are serious. I don't know what's going to be happening with the New York Giants again when you're going to be comparing them with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Just that offense. Just that offense. Bad loss against the Seattle Seahawks, but who knows, man? How do we know that's a bad loss or not? Because Seattle is 5-3, and three and they're in first place in the NFC West. Geno Smith at your quarterback, you wouldn't think that the Seahawks would be true contenders, but that defense had turned around and played much better. Kenny Walker, the running back from Michigan State, has provided the running game, what Pete Carroll loves so much to do, which is, you know, focus his offense on the running game, which can lead to an adequate passing game and the reacclimation of Geno Smith of being a really good quarterback, something that he hasn't been um, linked to since he was playing football in West Virginia. Has to be the, don't you think you have to be the, uh, comeback player of the year as you would think 
The Randall Cunningham, what he did with the Minnesota Vikings back in 1998. Geno Smith doing that, even though Randall was out of the league for a little bit before Denny, Denny Green took him off the uh, retirement heap and put him back in there where he replaced Brad Johnson and helped lead Minnesota to a 15-1 record. But, uh, yeah, Geno's playing some really good ball. But, you know, getting back to the Giants, how much of that loss is something to where you say, well, that's one of the reasons why I'm saying that, hey, no bueno when it comes to the Giants being true contenders for the division crown, that their 6-2 record really isn't all that when everything is going to be said and done. And now with the return of Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys and the way that they were using a little bit more variety and a little bit more imagined, being a little bit more imaginative and creative with Dak Prescott, that quarterback with some runs and some uh, rollouts and such, really putting up some really good numbers against the Chicago Bears, 49 points. How is that going to equate moving forward now in their um, in their quest to get on the um, get on the side of winning that division championship with the Philadelphia Eagles, with Philadelphia not only holding a couple of game lead but also holding the head-to-head matchup so far as they beat the uh, Cowboys a couple of weeks ago. So how's that going to be happening? I still think when everything is all said and done that the winners of the NFC East division is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Hold on for a second. I got these kids walking up and down the street here. I'm going to close my blinds to make sure to let them know. No candy. Get the fuck out of here. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, oh, let me see here. Give me your thoughts on the Minnesota Vikings, man. What do you think? Six and one? Pretenders? Contenders? For real? Taking advantage of a poor division when you see what's happening to the Green Bay Packers? And, of course, you know, with Detroit and Chicago, two teams that are rebuilding, I think that the Minnesota Vikings are going to be able to hold up quite well when everything is all said and done. Yeah, they're not they're not playing like gangbusters. Yeah, they're not playing in dominant fashion. And yeah, their one game that they had against the Eagles was kind of embarrassing. And yeah, they beat a dysfunctional, eroding Arizona Cardinals team on Sunday, 34-26, their fifth straight win. But it wasn't as easy as it should have been. Dalvin Cook finishing with 125 total yards on 25 touches. And they touched down. Hmm, what do you think, man? What do you think? Defense came up with multiple big plays when Arizona started to come back. Defense picked off Kyler Murray twice in the second half, sacked him a total of four times in the game. Minnesota Vikings, pretenders, contenders, what's happening? What's going on? I don't know, man. I don't know. And the, in, in terms of the bigger picture, Championship contenders for the conference. I just remember that game week two against the Philadelphia Eagles and the way things are going, even though Philadelphia has a one-game lead or essentially a two-game lead over them. You know, if they do play, it's going to be at Philadelphia. I don't know. Kirk Cousins passed for two touchdowns, had 232 total uh, yards on 24-36, also ran for a touchdown. As much of a question mark of Jalen Hurts because of the the meteoric rise that he had to uh, being this type of quarterback with this type of team in Philadelphia this season, I have just as many questions about Kirk Cousins in terms of how he's going to perform 
uh, in the playoffs in a big pressure situation. He's only done it once, and that was in a playoff game against the uh, New Orleans Saints. I think that might have been Drew Brees' last game before he retired, but uh, went to Minnesota, went to uh, New Orleans in a playoff game, beat them, and then I think they played San Francisco or something like that and got the doors blown off. But for the most part, Kirk Cousins has not shown that he can step up when the moment counts. So so, so what about that? Is it a situation where Kirk Cousins needs to prove it to us again? But when you take a look at Minnesota in that division and you take a look at the lead that they have over the Packers who lost to the uh, Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football, Buffalo putting in a a professional performance, shall we say, in winning 27-17. But uh, Packers are down. The Lions are the Lions and the Bears are the Bears. Oh, my. What was can I can I ask you a question here on Wendell's World of Sports the podcast with yours truly Wendell Wallace? Can I ask you something? Did you see that game between uh, Green Bay and Buffalo last night? Let me ask you: What exactly were the Packers doing on defense, especially Jair Alexander? What what was he doing all night? Was that a situation where it's like fuck it, we're going to lose the war, but I might as well win some battles? I, I, I what was he doing? Jabbering and acting the fool with uh, Stefan Diggs? when they were hopelessly out of the game, were you just going for self and just saying, fuck the score, I don't care if we're losing as long as I look good? I mean, that was that was strange, right? Aaron Rodgers calling out teammates in the Pat McAfee show. I mean, is that a talking point for you? Is that something where you're going to be like, see, 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 should have kept his mouth shut. The, Bill, the Bills weren't going to lose that game. The, the reason why the Packers lost that game to Buffalo wasn't because of anything Aaron Rodgers said. It wasn't because Aaron Rodgers called out teammates on the Pat McAfee show that, that wasn't the reason why the um, Packers lost to Buffalo they lost to Buffalo because the Green Bay defense couldn't stop the run when they needed to and the offensive line couldn't establish anything or give any time for Brett Favre for the most of three quarters during that game that, that's the reason why the Packers lost it had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers calling out teammates well he's being a bad teammate and this that and the other did he mention anybody by name I didn't hear anybody I didn't hear him go after anybody by name I mean, was it the right thing to do? I don't know. I mean, I heard the, I heard the example of when was the last time someone did something like that and it helped them and it turned it around, turned the season around. Can't think of too many times, if any. But again, I, I, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers did something that fractured the the locker room. I mean, when you're Aaron Rodgers, you're the two-time NFL MVP, and you've had the career that he's had, and you've had the impact that he's had on the Green Bay Packers in that organization. I mean, if you're going to do some shit, as long as he ain't calling out nobody by name and getting personal with them, I mean, what, what, what's going to be happening? Anybody on that team is going to do anything for uh, Brett, uh, for uh, Aaron Rodgers? Anybody? Anybody going to come up to management and say, we need to get Aaron, get rid of Aaron Rodgers because uh, he said something about me and now my butthole is hurt? Anybody going to go, go ahead and do something about that? No. Let me ask. Let me let me tell them folks something right now. Let me let me tell you something right now. Uh, you realize all the success that you've had for the most part as a teammate of Aaron Rodgers over the past three or four years with the Green Bay Packers is because of Aaron Rodgers, right? If anybody's going to have the latitude, if anybody is going to go ahead and do those type of things, you know Aaron Rodgers has earned the equity. He's earned the right to do those things. Now, you might want to question if it's the right thing to do, if you want to get your feelings hurt or something like that. But if you're just joining the Green Bay Packers, if you're just part of the Green Bay Packers, or you're not having any impact of significance whatsoever with the Green Bay Packers 
and you get your feelings hurt or you get mad at Aaron Rodgers because he went on the Pat McAfee show and he called out teammates needing to do better, get the fuck out of my city, get the fuck out of my town, and get the fuck out of my locker room. Who gives the fuck? You don't have the right to be angry. You don't have the right to be sitting there and be um, uh, uh, criti- critical of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a two-time MVP, Hall of Famer, one of the best quarterbacks of our generation, a recent two-time MVP. Shut the fuck up if you have a problem with Aaron Rodgers calling out teammates. Was he calling you out by name? Did he come out Aaron Rodgers and say your name, he needs to be playing well or get him out of town? Oh, no, he didn't? Then shut the fuck up (laughs) and play football. So, you know, that's that's my point on that. Bottom line, Minnesota Vikings comfortably, I think, will win the NFC North Division. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just talking to you a little bit. Just want to get your thoughts and opinions about what's happening in terms of the division leaders as we are right now smack dab in the middle of the dog days of the NFL season, September. Building that good foundation, you know, gaining some clues. You know, getting some ideas of how this team is going to, how your team is going to be enjoying the league. Uh, the month of October, the second month of the NFL season, just kind of now the everything is starting to build. Everything now is starting to come to fruition. Everything now is starting to be much more clearer to the eyes in terms of how these teams are going to be. Not, not saying that it's the finished product, but again, we read the first couple of, couple of chapters of the book. Now we're in the middle of the book. Now we're going to be starting to hit that time where we're going to be starting hitting some real troubles. We're going to be starting to hit some real interesting points. Now, moving forward now, when we start speaking about the month of November going on to December, this is where the plot thickens. This is where it gets really juicy. This is where you you don't want to miss coming up right now because this is where we turn on the back nine coming up and we start heading for home to see the conclusion of what's going to be happening with this NFL season in a short amount of time. Before I leave, you know what? Something, something just came to, to me and I want to ask Green Bay Packers fans this before I start talking about other teams who are leading their division and uh, what their chances are of holding on to that lead. Let me go back to Green Bay for just one more second and talk about the situation. When or if, let's say the Packers season really comes off the rails, right? How many games have they lost now? Four? Four straight? Something like that? Let's say we're looking at a team in the Green Bay Packers this season that's going to end up 5-12. and 6-11. and 11. When or if the Packers are eliminated from the playoffs. Will we then see Jordan Love? Do you want to see Jordan Love? The Packers are hopelessly out of it. They're playing at the end of the season. Do you think it's time to see Jordan Love get some time? And is this going to be a team moving forward where the situation is going to be, you know what, we need to start thinking about the Jordan Love era. I, era. I, I understand that Brett Favre, damn it, I understand that Aaron Rodgers resigned. Uh, I understand that. But if this is going to be a situation where Green Bay is going to be rebuilding, because we thought that while 
Aaron Rodgers got used to the young receivers, right? That the running game and the defense would be the catalyst to keep them competitive for playoff and championship aspirations. That hasn't happened. So if this is going to be a situation where is the Green Bay organization going to have to start thinking, man, if, if these things fall off the rails and we're not any good, and yes, I know the NFL is the best league where you can go from first to worst to first again, but could this be a situation with Aaron Rodgers next season being 39 that we just say, hey, man, if we're going to be mediocre of a football team and we're going to have to really start to rebuild again and it's going to take us two to three years to do so. Why do we have Aaron Rodgers on our team? What would be the point of having Aaron Rodgers on our team? And somehow, some way, shouldn't we have to justify drafting Jordan Love? So if the Packers season goes off the rails and it doesn't look in the future like it's going to get any better, what do you do with Aaron Rodgers if you're the Green Bay Packers? Oh my goodness gracious! Oh, you can't have Aaron Rodgers play anywhere else. He's Mr. Green Bay. He's this, that, and the other. You're speaking about a historic organization. Oh my God! You can't. Joe Montana played with the um, Joe Montana played with the Kansas City football team, didn't he? Michael Jordan played with the Washington Wizards, didn't he? Um, you know, it, it happens. Johnny Unitas played with the San Diego Chargers, didn't he? Emmett Smith played with the Arizona Cardinals, didn't he? Jerry Rice played with the Oakland Raiders and then the Denver Broncos, didn't he? Wasn't that the situation? It, it happens. Tom Brady is playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? It happens. It happens to legends. I mean, wouldn't that be the situation... Shouldn't you entertain that? Or will the Steelers, or will the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers do what the Pittsburgh Steelers did with Ben Roethlisberger? Where maybe it was a situation where maybe they should have traded him. But they kept him around. They really didn't draft a replacement for him until this year with Kenny Pickett. Now we don't know if Kenny Pickett is going to be the answer. And right now, for that extra year with Ben Roethlisberger, the Pittsburgh Steelers are paying for it. So what are the Green Bay Packers going to do with Aaron Rodgers moving forward? Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Taking a look at some of these other division leaders here at AFC South. Should belong to the Tennessee Titans, right? No one's paying attention to Tennessee. Are you paying any attention to Tennessee? Do you know who started for the Tennessee Titans at quarterback yesterday against the Houston Texans? By the way, do you know who the starting quarterback is for the Tennessee Titans? Do you know who the head coach is for the Tennessee Titans? Can you name the running back for the Tennessee Titans? Anyone outside of Nashville, can you name any of those questions? Can you answer any of those questions? <laughs> They're leading their division 5-2. and two. And when you're speaking about the division that has Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and Houston, who as of this recording has a 6-15-2 record, when you take a look at the other quarterbacks in the division, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills, and Sam Ellinger, yeah, I'm going to be guessing that the Tennessee Titans should uh, be pretty uh, concrete in their holding on to first place in the AFC South. They beat Houston yesterday 17-10. Oh, by the way, answer to the trivia question I just put up in terms of who was the starting quarterback for the 
who was the starting starting quarterback for the Titans? It was Malik Willis. What you talking about, Willis? Malik Willis. The man from Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Threw the ball 10 times. Completed six of them for 55, <laughs> for 55 yards. Derrick Henry ran the ball 32 times for 217 yards and two touchdowns. Tennessee ran the ball 45 times for over 300 yards. Only against the Texans. Only against the Texans. Put an asterisk by it. Tennessee on defense. Held Houston with Davis Mills at the quarterback. Held Houston to 161 yards of total offense. For the game! (laughs) 10 first downs. 2 of 14 on third down convergence. Oh, and by the way, 90 of those 161 total yards that the that the Texans accumulated, uh, 90 of those came in the final drive, which resulted in their only touchdown with 17 seconds left. So it was a gift 90 yards that the uh, Titans gave them. <sighs> let me see. Let me take a look at the schedule for Tennessee. Next week, they're at Kansas City. Then Denver, then at Green Bay on a Thursday night game. So that's a quick turnaround. And then Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm pretty confident about the pretty confident about the Tennessee Titans holding on to first place in the AFC South. A couple of divisions, though, that are up in the air. Two division leaders that could and should change when you're speaking about the NFC West and the South. Because in the NFC South so far, Atlanta who a couple of days ago was ranked 22nd in the Power Index football rankings. They lead the division in the NFC South with a 4-4 record after beating Carolina in overtime 37-34, a game that was handed to them by the Carolina Panthers, who are now, what, 2-6 and in rebuilding and traded Kristen McCaffrey and have P.J. Walker as their quarterback and an interim coach as their coach. Atlanta should have won that game or should have lost that game twice. D.J. Moore... Did you see that clown acting like a clown, behaving like a clown, losing his mind and his helmet, taking off his helmet to celebrate after catching the 62-yard touchdown with 12 seconds left to go to tie the score at 34-34? Oh, that's right. I forgot. We're Carolina. We have a kicker who can't kick. They, they, <laughs> so instead of a 35 or a 33-yard extra point, because DJ Moore took off his helmet, Earned him a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. Made that 33-yard extra point into a 48-yard extra point that the kicker should have made, but he missed uh, wide left. Okay, shit, damn, fuck, can't believe that. In overtime, Carolina had another chance. This time on a extra point type yardage field goal attempt. And the kicker missed it. I don't even know who the kicker's name is because... He shouldn't have a job right now. Uh, But, uh, you know, Atlanta is in first place. Marcus Mariota in that squad in first place with a 4-4 record. Who would have thunk with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that division that the Atlanta Falcons with a 4-4 record would be in first place in that division. But they are. They are. In the NFC West, look, Seattle's leading the division with a 5-3 record. But... I think San Francisco. Did you see that game between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, the Rams? A game in which uh, Christian McCaffrey said hello to the uh, nation in terms of his impact that he's going to have with that team as long as he remains healthy. So Seattle, the Seahawks, 5-3 and three in the division, 
San Francisco's one game behind at four and four, followed by the Rams four and three, Arizona, um, whoever, no matter whatever. But uh, I'm thinking, which you know, which which victory is more impressive? Seattle at home beating the Giants or San Francisco beating the Rams? Because when you take a look at it, the Giants and the Rams, they've got some question marks also. Number one, are the Giants really that good? And number two, are the Rams really that mediocre? Because after getting down 14-10 to 10 or 14-7, to uh, 7, 49ers scored 24 unanswered points midway through the second period after being down after being down. 14 to 7 midway through the second quarter scored 24 straight points and McCaffrey said let me take over and do some things had 149 total yards on 24 cut touches and I'm not even including the 34 yard touchdown pass he had to uh, Brandon Ayuk that got the 49ers on the board if McCaffrey who yesterday ran for 94 yards on 18 carries eight passes for 55 yards he isn't truly acclimated with the uh, playbook and everything I mean this is a man who's only two weeks ago was uh, living, chilling in Carolina. So this is the man, I don't know, is he living with another teammate? Is he living in a plush apartment? Is he living uh, in a plush hotel? Whatever. He's uprooted his, um, his, he's uprooted his life, gone from Carolina to San Francisco. So he's still getting acclimated with those, with those type of things. So I don't think he's truly yet comfortable yet in the totality of his existence as a football player and as a human being living on the West Coast and in a new environment. So he's going to take some time to do those things. So I'm thinking in the bye week that the 49ers have, yeah, he can dive into the playbook and all those type of things. But I'm thinking Christian McCaffrey is going to be using the first week of the uh, bye week to uh, go ahead and see what he can do to kind of acclimate himself and get himself situated uh, living for the amount of time that he's going to be living in San Francisco, whether that's going to be in a hotel, whether that's going to be renting a place, whether that's going to be in a, uh, a hotel or motel or holiday inn. If your girl starts acting up, then you take a friend. So I don't know what's going to be happening with um, Christian McCaffrey, but those are just some other things in terms of, you know, when you move or when you get traded to another team. It's more than just learning the playbook and, and, and learning your teammates. It's just a whole new environment that he has to get used to. And it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he gets acclimated with that when they're speaking about going from one type of culture in Carolina to another type of culture living for the time being in San Francisco. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. AFC North right now, I think it's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals uh, division to win, even though the Baltimore Ravens got a uh, pretty nice victory on Thursday night. And then in the AFC West, I think it's going to be Kansas City holding on the Los Angeles Chargers, who are 4-3 and three and just one game behind, and they haven't played the... Uh, football team from Kansas City yet I still think when everything is all said and done when you have Patrick Mahomes you have that team now with that running game now with that improved defense that they should be able to hold on so it's a wonderful thing man this National Football League it's a wonderful story it's a wonderful movie it's a wonderful deal that's going on you know what I'm talking about we're halfway through the dog days Week 9, week 10, week 11, week 12, the month of November. We're going to be gaining more knowledge. We're going to be gaining more wisdom. 
We're going to have a better look on how these teams are going to be. Is Zach Wilson going to be continuing to play this bad for the New York Jets? What does it mean now that Tony Pollard for the Dallas Cowboys team to have cemented himself as the number one running back in real threat for the Dallas Cowboys? No ill effects lingering from Dak Prescott and his hand injury. Okay, we now see that the Philadelphia Eagles are for real in terms of them being a really good football team that can win the not just only the conference but also the Super Bowl. The um, Buffalo Bills look like they're for real? Are they going to get any heat? Are they going to get any competition from a team like the Miami Dolphins with the return of Tua and the game that he had against the Detroit Lions where he threw for four touchdowns and passed for what over 300 yards, 29 or 34 from the uh, from the air? Is anybody in the NFC West going to do anything to stop the um, San Francisco 49ers? The AFC West is what's going to be happening out there? Some really good stuff. Come on, man. Don't put down the novel. Don't turn off the TV. Continue to binge. Continue to watch. Because the NFL season, as it goes along, it's going to get more interesting and more interesting as the plot thickens and the plot twistens. Wendell's World in Sports, Wendell Wallace with you. Hope that you're enjoying this podcast episode of me speaking about what is happening, what is going down in the NFL after the break, speaking about what's happening in college football. If you want to hear me speak about the love of my life in terms of sports leagues are concerned, the NBA, my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, my Halle Berry, my Vivica A. Fox, my Layla Roshan, go over to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-A-P-O-T-O-F-E-S, and hear me speak about the everyday of what's happening in the NBA and my thoughts and opinions about the love of my life in terms of teams are concerned, the Georgetown Hoyas. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. That's me. Wendell Wallace, so glad that uh, you could be with us. Always remember, I always love speaking about the love of my life, my Halle Berry, my Leila Roshan, my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, the wifey till death do us part in terms of sports leagues are concerned, the NBA Every Wednesday or Thursday, I put out something concerning what's happening with the uh, NBA. So um, on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. So as always, check that out. I don't know exactly when I'm going to be um, putting that down. Uh, starting a new job on today. I'm a consulting coach. Uh, my time with kids is over. Thank goodness. So let them to the water. Let them to the well. Now. If they want to drink the water, they want to drink everything that I taught them in terms of the knowledge and the wisdom and how it is in life when they uh, get out in the real world, when they become adults, when they leave their neighborhood, when they leave their community and go out there and they meet people and see things and other things. If they have the heart, if they have the guts, if they have the courage, I told them, I let them to the water, hope they can drink it. I hope they can drink it, but my time dealing with that bullshit is over. Thank Jesus. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. Some days, some weeks, depending upon how my 
work schedule is and all that kind of stuff. Some days I'll have the opportunity to come home and divvy things up and write things up and make some notes and do some things and record my uh, YouTube episode and podcast on Wednesday and publish it on Thursday. Maybe I can do it on Tuesday and publish it on uh, Wednesday. But one thing for sure, while the football season is still going on, both college and pro, on Tuesdays, my audio episodes of what's happening in the world of sports in football, in college football, that will be concrete in terms of me in terms of me putting it out on Tuesday. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So very quickly, let's go ahead and let's start start talking about some college football, shall we? Because the beginning of the college football season, part deux, shall we say, part deux, should we say, is going to be beginning starting on Monday. The college football selection committee is going to meet to determine who is the top four, who are the top four teams in the country that's going to be playing for the playoffs and also recalibrating and putting together their own top 25, which will take precedence over anything else. It's going to be announced uh, this evening. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, it's going to be uh, announced 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. There's going to be five or more rankings after the announcement before the start of the bowl and championship season. In the sport, and according to ESPN Stat and Information Group, 18 of the 32 teams that eventually made the college football playoffs, seven of those teams, 2015 Alabama Crimson Tide, 2016 Clemson Tigers, 2017 Alabama, 2018 Clemson, 2019 LSU, 2020 Alabama, and 2021 Georgia went on to win the national championship. So, let me ask you again, man. I know you've been following college football. Who are the top four teams in the country, in your opinion? I know you got Georgia up there, right? I'm not talking about it any. I don't need to have one through four, but just give me your top four teams in the uh, in the country right now in college football, because in no particular order, I'm going to go with Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, and then Michigan. Now, I think those are going to be the selection of the committee. Um, on Tuesday, some of the teams on the outside looking in, I think it's going to be Alabama. I think it's going to be Clemson, Oregon, TCU, USC. Still early in the season, again, starting part two of the college football season. This is where, you know, the, the season really starts to count in terms of who's going to be doing what, who's going to be going where, who's really going to be having the opportunity to play in the uh, college football playoffs because, we're taking a look also how at how important the conference championships are when you're speaking about the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan, when you're speaking about the SEC championship, when you're either speaking about Alabama going up against Georgia or Tennessee. These are the, going to be the situations that's going to really preclude and tell the story of who's going to be playing in the playoffs with the chance to win themselves a championship. When you take a look at the top three teams in the country, and see how they did on Saturday. Georgia doing what they need to do to beat Florida. 42-20. They led 28-3 at half. Before falling asleep in the third quarter. Allowing Anthony Richardson and the boys from Florida. To score 17 straight points. To make it 28-20. Then Georgia woke up and said. Okay. That's enough. I'm going to stop throwing the ball to Darnell Washington. Because he fumbles too much. I'm going to go ahead. And we're going to score two touchdowns. And we're going to put the game out of reach. Which they did. Stetson Bennett completed 19 of 38 passes, 316 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. One of the best, not just tight ends, but best players in the game of football, college football right now, tied in Brock Bowers, caught five passes 
for a career high 154 yards, including a miraculous, unbelievable, fantastic for a true sophomore tight end to be making that type of catch, uh, touchdown pass or touchdown reception that he had. You could take a look at the score and you could take a look at the game and you could say to yourself, but you took a look at the game that Georgia, yeah, they played well. They were good. They were fine. Nothing unbelievable, nothing fantastic, nothing awe-inspiring. They did what they needed to do. And then you kind of take a look at the statistics and you take a look at the one-sided domination from Georgia, despite not playing its hardest or not being the most focused, having 26 first downs to Georgia's 16. Georgia went eight of fifteen on third and fourth down conversions compared to uh, conversion. Well, sorry, compared to Florida going four of nineteen, the Bulldogs gained five hundred and fifty-five total yards average, six yards per attempt, forty-yard uh, rushing attempts. They should, they were dominant. They were dominant. So yeah, moving on, Georgia without question, uh, one of the uh, best teams in the college football season. But then again. You ask yourself, should, have, should Georgia have been more dominant than they were this season? What we're speaking about now, handicapping the final four teams and what chances that they have and separating the weak from the meek, from the strength, from the length, all these type of things. You take a look at Georgia. You take a look at what they've done this season. You take a look at the record. They're undefeated. I'm not saying that Georgia should not be in the top four. Of course. Georgia should be in the top four if you take a look at their resume, of course. But then again, you sit there and you say, okay, maybe you want to have the, maybe you want to start the narrative. Maybe you want to start the argument that Georgia is one of the, Georgia is going to go on a run. Georgia right now is in the midst of building something that could be compared to uh, the the few seasons that uh, Nick Saban in Alabama had where they were dominant. For a little stretch there where Clemson, when they had Trevor Lawrence and they had Deshaun Watson, that quarterback, and those great defensive players, that they were the team to, for a short period of time, was really, really dominant. And it showed with draft picks, and it showed with championships, and it showed with uh, win-loss records, and it showed with recruiting and how uh, strong uh, the recruiting classes were. I mean, for a time there, about four, five, six years ago, it was all about Alabama. It was all about Clemson. Then in 2019 with Joe Burrow, LSU became that team where they had a plethora of just unbelievable athletes and talent, and they did what they did, and you saw how historic and how unbelievable that team was, even though it was just for a year. If you're going to start to try to build an argument on why maybe this year, next year, and the year after that, that when everything is all said and done with a recruiting class that Georgia brought in, and Kirby Smart's been recruiting his ass off in terms of bringing in high-talented recruits for um, a, a long period of time with him being the coach of Georgia, if you're going to be saying, all right, I want to start comparing Georgia to those teams in the mid-20, uh, you know, mid 2010 decades with Alabama and Clemson and such. You take a look at what Georgia did this year. Last season, they were unbelievable. Last season, they were dominant. Last season, they built that foundation to start that argument. And one of the reasons why you thought because they were just going to continue with the dominance that they have. And while they haven't lost a game, and while their defense has, has still been good, not maybe as historically dominant as it was last season, but when you, when you take a look at some of the stuff that they're doing on defense, it's like, shouldn't they be more revered? Shouldn't they be talked about more? But 
outside of that first game of the season where they beat Oregon on a neutral field 49-3, they, they've really been, I don't know, I don't even I don't know about using the term flying under the radar. I don't I don't think that's the truth. But they haven't been front and center this season. When you think about it after week one, right? I mean think about it so far this 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 college football season, all right? What were the highlights from week two? It was Alabama almost losing to Texas, right? Twenty nineteen, Appala- Appalachian State beating Texas A and M, who was then ranked in the top ten, seventeen, fourteen, right? I mean that week Georgia beat Sanford. Not Sanford and Son, you big dummy. But they beat Sanford 33 to nothing. Okay. No biggie. Who cares? Another day at the work, right? People were concentrating on, oh my goodness, Alabama. I mean, they have so many penalties and this, that, and the other. What's going on with them? And Texas A&M, they brought in all these five-star recruits and they had this historic recruiting class and they lose at home to Appalachian State. What's Jimbo Fisher doing? Blah, blah, blah. They need a quarterback. Blah, blah, blah. Georgia was just like, oh, you beat Sanford 33 to nothing. Let's bring you back out to the junkyard. Um, week three, right? What was the interesting thing in week three? Not anything spectacular, right? Alabama beat Louisiana Monroe 63-7. Ohio State beat Toledo 77-21. Michigan beat Utah 59-0. Clemson beat Louisiana Tech 48-20. And, uh, okay, Georgia beat South Carolina 48-7. Nothing important there. Nothing noteworthy. I mean, no need to be gushing over a Georgia team that beat South Carolina 48-7 to when Ohio State's putting 77 on somebody and Michigan's beating up on Utah and dropping 59 and Alabama is uh, coming back strongly against Louisiana Monroe putting up 63, right? No need for uh, us to be going, ooh, wow, golly gee, this, that, and the other about the uh, Georgia Bulldogs. What were the week four highlights? Speaking about what's happening with Georgia here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. What happened... Talk to me. What happened on week four? Anything particular? Anything interesting? Anything earth-shattering? Anything stop the presses in terms of college football is concerned? Clemson surviving the beat Wake Forest in overtime, 51-45. Hey, how about that? DJ Uyungle is playing a little bit of football there. He might be the quarterback that we thought he might be, right? First signs of Oklahoma being exposed, losing to Kansas State. Big upset. Oklahoma loses 41-34 a week after drubbing Nebraska. With their interim head coach, oh my goodness gracious. So that was the first time of Oklahoma being exposed in terms of being a top-tier team. Georgia sleepwalks and and beats Kent State 39-22. Maybe a little eye-raising, like Kent State scored 22 points against Georgia? Damn, when Georgia's Georgia's just been blowing out everybody? Week 5 was the only time that Georgia took center stage or Georgia was on the thought of anyone's mind. Georgia, Georgia, I've got Georgia on my mind. They had to come back and beat Missouri 26 to 22. I'm sorry, brother, Ray. But uh, yeah, that was the deal, right? Oh my goodness, what's happening? What's going on? This, that, and the other. Georgia almost beat Missouri. They were down for a huge portion of the game. You know, meanwhile, Alabama's up there beating Arkansas on the road 49 to 26 after Bryce Young misses half the game because of an injury. And because of that, and maybe because of what they did against Kent State, all of a sudden now we have ourselves a new number one ranked team in the country. Alabama news moved to number one, Georgia moved to number two. Speaking about disrespect, speaking about, man, what is going on? What's going on? Georgia moving to number two? 
Week six, what's the main talking point in college football, man? Am I going too fast for you? Do I need to slow it down for you? Huh? Week six, keep up. In college football, why isn't Georgia getting the love? Why isn't Georgia getting the respect? Why isn't Georgia's being talked about with dominance and with greatness? Why is Georgia moving down to number two, Alabama moving up to number one, just because they had to come back and beat Missouri? Didn't affect Alabama that much when they had to come back and beat Texas, right? Why isn't Georgia getting the love and reverence that they deserve? Week six, I'm saying week six, right? So far, Georgia's just been flying under the radar. Yeah, they beat Sanford. Yeah, they beat South Carolina. Yeah, they beat, uh, who they beat? Oh, yeah, Kent State. Yeah, they almost lost to Missouri. Jeez. Then they went back to flying, being under the radar again, right? Then it was all about Alabama and Texas A&M, Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. Oh, man, are these two guys going to fight it out? Are these guys going to get into this altercation? Bryce Young out of the game was replaced by Jalen Milroe at quarterback, right? Meanwhile, Georgia beats Auburn 42-10. Yeah, whatever. Probably more news on that. Like, when are they going to fire the Auburn coach, which they, which they did today? Week 7, best college football weekend of the year, right? Tennessee introduces themselves as legitimate championship contenders, beating Alabama 52-49 in the game of the year so far. Michigan had their best win of the season against Penn State 41-17. Utah upsets previously unbeaten and number six ranked USC, which causes Eric G and Coach Jones to be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and Coach Jones was, was boogalooing and, 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 and kidding playing up and down Tulsa, Oklahoma. No one that Lincoln, Lincoln Riley lost. Eric G was up there dancing all around Oklahoma City, doing the funky chicken and high five because their guy, Lincoln Riley, lost at uh, USC. <laughs> TCU came back one of the games of the year and beat number eight Oklahoma State in overtime, 43-40. By the way, Coach Jones and Eric G, 11-2, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the sports animal, give them a listen to, really good show. But oh my goodness gracious, the best weekend in college football so far this year, right? What about Georgia. Oh, they beat Alabama. They beat Vanderbilt 55 nothing. Okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. Whatever. That's great. Mm-hmm. After that, week seven, Georgia had this buy. Basically, what I'm getting to is, for the most part, Georgia's just been doing what Georgia's been doing. They haven't been spectacular. They haven't been unbelievable. They've just been dominant. That's it. That's fine. That's wonderful. Now... This upcoming, now we've got possibly the game of the year, right? Going up against Tennessee at home. That's this, The winner of this game is going to be ranked number one in the country. It's going to have that inside position to get to the SEC championship game. Questions that's going to be answered for both teams when you speak about Georgia. Because, look, man, their defense is great. They're only allowing nine points per game. Haven't allowed a first quarter touchdown this season. But... This is a strength of schedule for Georgia that's ranked 87th. That's worse than Ohio State at 83 and well behind Tennessee at 17. Where's their signature win? Uh, a neutral win against Oregon? Okay. But their only other win against a Power 5 opponent over 500 was against South Carolina. <sighs> Isn't Georgia supposed to be doing that anyway? Only three of Georgia's wins came against teams with winning records, and that includes Sanford. You big dummy. How many times am I going to tell that joke? But uh, you take a look at Tennessee, right? Tennessee could be playing the best football 
in uh, the country right now. They could be the best team right now. If you really think about it, you saw how Ohio State basically kind of turned it on for a little bit there to uh, beat Penn State, the team that's always fraudulent when they play top five teams. We saw that against Michigan, right? I mean, you take a look at Michigan. They have questions at quarterback, and they can't score in a red zone. The Ohio State running game was was nothing until midway through the fourth quarter or the start of fourth quarter against um, Penn State, and they were inconsistent in the red zone. Alabama's secondary had been... Uh, exposed at times. Tennessee did that by putting up the numbers that they did. And, and, and Alabama has been quite undisciplined. If you take a look at some of the penalties against better competition, you throw that all into the mix. You take a look at the quarterback questions now at Clemson and how uh, Klubeck had to come in and save Clemson against uh, Syracuse. There's still some questions about DJ moving forward. That defense for Clemson is not as good as it once was when it was dominant and winning uh, championships and building themselves a, a mini dynasty or being one of the elites of the elites in college football. So we don't know moving forward. We don't know. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. And the best win of the year so far in college football Tennessee over Alabama a couple of weeks ago. And there has been no letdown. So it's a situation where, well, wait a minute, man. Maybe Tennessee is the best team in the country, and they're going to expose Georgia on Saturday, right? But then again, you take a look at that pass defense, and you take a look at the fact that they've allowed at least 300 passing yards to Florida, LSU, and Alabama. In fact, Alabama had over 450 yards against them. What's going to be happening moving forward with that? What's going to be going on moving with that? So I'm going to be interested to see the top four. As I mentioned before, Ohio State remaining number two in the country. They had their biggest game of the season so far. They beat Penn State 44-31 at Happy Valley during the whiteout at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, the start time at that game that morning, on Saturday morning. Penn State led 14-13 at halftime. They scored a touchdown, the lead. 21-16 with 9.26 left to go. Again, the inconsistency in the red zone with Ohio State was rearing his ugly head. The um, running game was really not working. But then after that, Ohio State said, screw this. They just needed three plays to go back in front. Went 75 yards. Trayvon Henderson running for a 41-yard touchdown score. Then two plays later. Sean Clifford, Penn State quarterback, doing what he always does, fumble. Ohio State recovered from a, for a touchdown. Um, the ensuing snap, C.J. Stroud hit Case Stover for a 24-yard touchdown to make it 30-23, and you're like, okay, they're rolling. After Penn State kicked the field goal to make it 30-24, Ohio State was 75 yards on seven plays. Thank you so much, 37-24. Then 10 seconds later, J.T., I'm not going to even try to pronounce his, his uh, last name, but... He scored a defense, defensive touchdown to make it 44-24 with 2.42 left to go. Thanks for coming. James Franklin doing what he always does as the coach of Penn State when they run up against a team that's really, really good, ranked inside the top 10. They lose. So there you go. There you go. I, I love the stuff about Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford's a winner. Sean Clifford is tough. Sean Clifford is a leader. Well, Sean Clifford also can't play football for a team that needs him to be a quarterback that can lead a team to a championship. Not saying he's a bad quarterback. Not saying that whatsoever. If you want to go 8-4, and 9-3 and three every year, finish the season ranked 
15, 18, 20th and win like a Peach Bowl or a Gator Bowl or a New Year's Day Bowl of inconsequence, Sean Clifford is your man. But if you want to make the uh, playoffs, if you want to uh, win a championship, unless he's playing for Georgia, Sean Clifford is not your man. So <sighs> Penn State doing Penn State things. They outgained Ohio State 482 to 452. But, you know, four turnovers. Also had a drive inside the Ohio State 20 that was stopped on down, so... You know, there you go. Ohio State doing Ohio State things. So I'm going to be interested to see moving forward um, who the um, who the top four teams are going to be. And you can see that this afternoon. All right, I am done. I am out of here. I want to thank you so doggone much for listening to my podcast. I think right now the Browns are beating the Bengals 18 to nothing. Didn't I just mention that the Bengals were going to win the NFC North or AFC North? I am an idiot when it comes to paying sports games. That's why I do not bet. So please don't fret. I will never have a handicapping podcast unless you want to go broke. So there you go, man. Everybody be good to each other, man. Please be good to each other. Please see what we can do to learn from others. Please see what we can do to love each other who deserve to have the unity, to have the harmony, to have the respect. Please, come on, man. Please do what we need to do to make this world a better place for our children and for their children and for a society to where we could either be looking up from hell or looking down from heaven and saying, that's the type of utopian society that I wanted to leave. A place where the next generation and the next generation and the next generation are treating people with love and respect and unity, and whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, whether you're a female, whether you're black, whether you're from Pakistan, whether you're from uh, the poor side of town or the rich side of town, it really doesn't matter. We are all one in sisterhood, in brotherhood, in one humanity in terms of loving each other, respecting each other, whether you're Mormon, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're atheist, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, whatever, man, whether you're a, a Muslim, whether you're whoever, man, just love those and respect those and treat those with kindness and goodness in your heart for those who absolutely deserve it. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, get me out of here with some music. 